HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Heritage Radio Network on Tour, presented by Le Creuset. Uh, Mike Hewitt from Recruit, Retain, Relax. Uh, today we're broadcasting live from HRN Podcast Lounge at Feast Portland. We want to thank our supporters, Le Creuset, Travel Portland, Salt and Straw, and the Julia Child Foundation for making our coverage possible. Really excited today. We got a good, good lineup. Uh, sitting here in lovely Portland with Kwame Onwachi of Kith and Ken, yeah. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank Show you. Show some love. There you go. And Author, I'm Hannah Porton. Uh, yeah, no, right? I'm going to co-host. We're over here Instagram. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we made a Kwame sandwich. There you <laughs> go. There you go. That's a good That's sandwich. It, right? Great filling. Delish. Um, obviously, author of notes from a young black chef as well. So, James Beard Award. We got food and wine rising star nod. It's obviously been a good year for Kwame, right? Uh, but it wasn't always lovely, right? There was some struggle, some drama. Uh, but that anything is possible philosophy that you, uh, that you really push, I think it's important for uh, the, the new crop of culinary guns that are coming up behind you. Uh, talk, talk to us a little bit about that. I mean, I don't think anything worth uh, having is going to be easy, you know. Um, it's been a tough road um, in recent years, in my childhood and things like that. But um, it's been a great... It's been a great road at the same time, you know, it's, uh, it's taught me a lot of lessons along the way and the journey is really the reward. So I'm, I'm thankful for it. Nice. Um, some of that journey that you were talking about took you back to Nigeria, right? Uh-huh. How did that kind of mold you as a person? Did it, you know, give you some elements to your personality that you could then use as a chef and as a mentor? Definitely. Um, I think... Nigeria taught me to appreciate the small things we have here in life, like uh, or the things that we take take for granted that aren't small to other people, like running water and electricity, um, basic necessities that we think are just you know part of human rights here. And also, it taught me the why behind cooking. You know, I had to 
raise my own livestock. I had to cultivate my own vegetables. So it directly translated to my career path, and I'm forever thankful for that. And I'm curious, um, since you sort of went back and forth between um, the U.S. and Nigeria, um, I'm really interested in hearing, like, stories of, of people who... Um, especially in the food world, because I think you bring such an important perspective when you are left feeling slightly out of place no matter where you are. And I imagine, like, going from, you know, being a kid in Nigeria to coming back to New York, like, that must be quite jarring, just as it was jarring when you went to Nigeria. So, yeah, I'm. how does that affect how you cook, how you, like, relate to others? It probably makes you a very strong leader and communicator. Um, so, yeah, riff. Yeah, I mean, it... it... I think all of life's experiences turn you into who you are, you know? All the little nuances make you who you are. And the lessons that I learned in Nigeria, they apply to everything that I do. Um, having to wash my own clothes and learn that the sun can take out certain stains depending on how you line them up on the clothesline. Like, all these little things apply to what I do today. And as far as just being a good leader, um, you got to learn how to follow before you can be a, a great leader. And I've had to follow for a majority of my career, um, like most professionals. So that's, you know, that's that. Yeah. Creative problem solving, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. And you definitely need a lot of that when it comes down to staffing, right? Which is one of the biggest uh, dilemmas in our industry right now. I don't um, know what you're talking about. Right? What am I talking about? <laughs> There's like a tree with like chefs falling off of yeah, it. Yeah, uh, they're... <laughs> Yeah, not here. Everywhere. Not here. But uh, just curious, you know, your take on D.C., on Washington, D.C. staffing versus New York uh, as an example. And, you know, obviously for Kith and Kin, have you been successful finding culinary talent that appreciates, understands your kind of food, right? I mean, it's talk, you know, Africa, Af it's Afro-Caribbean meets New Orleans, yeah. via Lego, Lagos. I mean, it's tough. I think staffing is hard everywhere. Um, when you find good people, you got to hold on to them. Um, you know, people want to say that people don't work the same way they used to. But I feel like, you know, there have been people throughout the ages that have taken things seriously and that, have, that haven't, you know. And I, I don't think it's any different than 20, 30 years ago. It's just a different time with new technology. Um, it's hard, but you have to learn how to lead and learn how to treat your people well so that they True. stay. True, true. You know, obviously, millennials get a lot of heat, right? It's all about oh, the commitment levels and everything. Uh, you've you've said before, like if you really want, it, if you really really want it, just go get it. Yeah, you know? millennials get a lot of heat about not caring, and but I know a lot of people that are in this industry that are still line cooks that are my parents' age. So like, there are people that weren't taking things seriously back then. The same thing now it hasn't changed. It yeah. Hasn't changed. But there are people that really care in every single industry that need to, you know, or or that show that they really want to be there. And that's why there are successful people and there are not successful people because it just just runs the gamut. I'm curious. So um, obviously your book, Notes from a Young Black Chef, has had an incredible amount of acclaim. Um, can you talk about a kind of like a synthesis for some of our listeners who may not have had the, a chance to read the book, um, the stories you're telling? And then I would love to hear how all the lessons you learned from like coming up in the restaurant industry, how does that affect the culture in your kitchen? Like, how did you kind of create um, something different from what you sort of came up with? Um, so the book, I'll answer the first question first. Yeah. The book is a snapshot of my life. Um, it, is, it talks about me growing up in the Bronx. So my mom 
being a single mother in a one-bedroom apartment and starting a catering company so that she can keep the lights on. So I had to help her out. And then veering off on the wrong path and getting sent to Nigeria, being told I was gone for two weeks, but uh, end up being two years so I can learn respect. And, you know, coming back and going to college and dropping out of college and cooking and going on Top Chef and opening up restaurants and things like that. So it's, uh, but it also talks about another perspective of the industry that we don't really talk about. You know, I think um, racism is as far removed from sexism in the kitchen. It's this, it, it goes hand in hand and it all gets masked behind this bravadoism of, um, hazing that happens in these fine dining restaurants. Yeah. Like, no, that's just the way it is. You're overreacting. Yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah. no, but it I don't care way. about black jokes right now, man. I'm trying to cut some onions, you know? So <laughs> it's, or, or I don't want my butt touched. I'm just trying to cut some onions. It's the same, It's it, it goes hand in hand. And I try to t touch on those topics while still telling the journey of a chef in this industry. Um, the way that I lead in my kitchen, I mean, I've learned throughout my career ways to lead and ways not to lead. Um, and that has helped me in the position that I'm in today. Nice. And one thing that you did uh, talk about in the past was like identifying certain people, right, in yeah. the restaurant that really want to be there. Yeah, right? exactly. And then just using them as inspiration to build the rest of the team. I think that's like a, a really important philosophy, right? Absolutely. I mean, like you said, some people are just doing it. They're clocking in and out. They're really, so, quote, miserable right, with their lives. That's every industry, though. But like everything. That's in every single industry you go to. There's going to be, yeah. I'm pretty sure the people that are cleaning up the park at the end of the day, there's going to be like five of them that are like really like they just care about doing their job well. And there's going to be 35 of them like I'm just here for a paycheck. Clocking so. in and out. So, yeah, from a recruitment standpoint, it's interesting that you, you may have these rock stars, you know, in your restaurant already. Yeah. Right? It's about identifying them, building them up, Nurturing using them, them as an example for the rest of the team. And then the whole restaurant pops yeah. up. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and say that it, it isn't tough. I think it's tough dealing with people in general. Anytime you have to manage people, it's it's difficult because people have lives outside of that nine to five or that eight hour or within a kitchen, that 12 hour shift. Correct. And you have to learn how to manage that. And you have to learn how to be compassionate in different ways in order to get your uh, message across. Yeah, you're not only dealing with uh, people, you're dealing with perishable goods, you're dealing with money. It's one of the few industries that touch you know that many things that are that could go yeah. wrong really. but you're not only dealing with that person you're dealing with their family and the things that they affect them and that's why being a chef is so hard because you wear so many different hats you know you're a therapist you're a mentor you're a mechanic you're a plumber you're a medic it's like so many different things that you yeah. are and you have to learn how to balance that and i'm still learning yeah i hear you man um, on, on more of a policy tip, though, uh, for, so 2015 was pretty much like a before and after, at least in New York, uh, when it comes to uh, you know, tip wages going up 50% overnight, just like that, right? Killing the bottom line. Um, and job, uh, has, it's actually been stagnant you know, since then. 2018 actually lost jobs in the sector, yeah. and it's continuing 2019. So a lot of employers are either cutting positions or cutting hours. How do you feel about that? Do you have any preference? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's tough because the people making the legislations don't work in the industry. And they see this number like they shouldn't be yeah. making $2 an hour. Well, they also sometimes go home with $1,000 a night. So, like, don't tell exactly. us what they should and should not be making. But, you know, honestly, it's the consumer that really has the power. Um, nobody wants to spend $50 for a burger. But that's how much we should charge for it because people should get benefits and health insurance. Exactly. And, things, and we can't. We can't facilitate that if we can't charge what it really costs 
to uh, give people a living wage. That makes sense. On, on a similar tip, um, so there's talk about a mandatory two-week paid vacation that's going to kick in, right? Everyone's up in arms about that. And like you said, it may be people that aren't in the industry, don't know what the hell they're doing. Uh, but it is a quality of life situation, but it's also a budget crusher when it comes to actually doing yeah, business. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it, I mean, it's, it's tough. choices, right? <laughs> All of those, you know, infractions are, they hurt the bottom line, but, you know, maybe we just start charging a little bit more. And if we do it all as a community, then we can pay for our people to go on to, I think everyone should get a two week paid vacation. I think you should get a month long paid vacation for the amount of hours that you European work. style. Yeah. And if you, if we can make it work and we can facilitate that, then we, then we should. Um, but the consumers are really in control and the media is in control. So we also have to, you know, um, adhere to supply and demand, and that's what really dictates our business. Got it. Uh, any major plans when it comes to expansion or new projects going on that you can actually talk about? I can't really talk about anything, but I'm really, really just excited to be alive and um, to be doing something that I love every single day. I have a question True. going back to the slightly more esoteric side of the industry. <laughs> um, can you tell us about the process of naming Kip and Ken and what that means to you? Yeah, um, I actually was cooking for a bunch of friends and family and I made like a Caribbean dish and this is when I was like really into fine dining and I just made, I just whipped something up and they were just yeah. like, why don't you cook like this all the time? Like this is when you cook like really good food. Not to say that your food otherwise isn't really good, but like this is things that we, these are the things that we were like really remember and, um, and it comes natural to you. So I just looked at the word friends and family and Kith and Kin popped up and I thought it sounded cool. So I mean, I named the restaurant after it. Nice. nice. What, um, what, what made you decide to pick, um, DC? Um, I like to say DC picked me, you know, I did pop-ups around the world for two years doing my own like little style of restaurant and I had investors reach out to me. Um, but I, I had investors in multiple cities, but I spent my summers in D.C. So my grandfather taught at Howard University, and a lot of my aunts and uncles still live there. So, um, yeah, I would spend my summers there. So when I got the offer, it kind of felt like home a little bit. So I decided to uh, take that leap of faith. Yeah, the land of your kith and kin. Yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> exactly. Cool, man. Um, have a couple, like, quick fire Let's challenges, right? Uh, the first one's really important, Mets or Yankees. Yankees. Boom. Come on. All day. I'm from the Bronx. <laughs> Next. Uh, catering job preferred shift. Banging out high volume or a fine dining tent top? Fine dining tent top. Yeah? All day long? <laughs> yeah, all day long. Nice. Uh, what about a culinary trip? Asia or Europe? Asia. You got a week to go. Asia. Asia? Hands down. Asia. Nice. Um, how about under the radar favorite? <laughs> yeah, I know. Everyone's like, That's yeah. That's not even. I don't have to think about that one. Our nice. audience agrees Represent. strongly. Uh, what about under the radar uh, favorite eats in New Orleans? Something that you under the know. radar favorite eats in New Orleans? Miss Lily's Vietnamese place, fucking oh, delicious. Go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so good. I usually get a small bowl of pho and half a banh mi, and I dip it in dip there and it. eat it. It's so good. Nice. Uh, last one for me. Uh, dream two top dinner. You and Obama. You and Julia Child. Or are you cooking for Obama and Julia Child? Me and Obama. I want to sit there and eat with him and, and just and chill and shoot the like, shit. Yeah, for sure. All right, man. Yeah. That's it. Well, thanks. Again, thanks, everyone, for listening uh, to Heritage Radio Network on tour presented by Le Creuset. Uh, big thanks to our supporters, Le Creuset, Travel Portland, Salt and Straw, Julia Child Foundation. 
for making our coverage possible. Um, yeah, I'm Mike from Recruit, Retain, Relax. Stay tuned for more from Feast Portland. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.